How's everybody doing? Are you good today? So glad you were able to join us um, this Thanksgiving weekend, that you're in church despite weather forecasts and all of these things. So uh, to join us for the kickoff of a brand new uh, series throughout this month, our Advent series, which we've called this year, we've, we've chosen the theme, Joy to the World. Joy to the world. You know, Advent is really this time of year is all about anticipation, expectation. As the video we just watched, you know, reminder of the, the roots and foundations of our hope as we uh, look toward the birth of Christ the Savior. And um, of course, it's taken from the carol, Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's good news. Let earth receive her king. Amen. Let every heart Prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Every heart. I, you know, I think so much of this time of year uh, for me is about preparing room in my heart. Let every heart prepare him room. I wonder, if, I wonder if we're making room for God in the midst of the season when it seems like all the world, you know, is either thinking about God or singing about God, being reminded constantly of, of Jesus. Is there room in our hearts? You know, uh, joy, of course, is the theme of this month. Joy uh, is the theme of the carol. But um, I don't know what your experience has been of uh, Christmas or this holiday season. But I think for many people, joy is not necessarily the prevailing emotion or experience that they have um, this time of year. Even followers of Christ sometimes, um, we can have Really, the season be more marked by being stressed or exhausted. Um, sometimes grieving um, is a part of this season, bittersweet, um, what memories of holidays can bring up for us. Loneliness or worry, debt, and those sorts of things. Or more, more than sometimes I think we care to admit, joy is not always the prevailing emotion of the holiday season. Uh, and yet joy can be our foundation. And joy is very different than happiness. You know, uh, I'm grateful for happiness, but if your experience of happiness is anything like mine, I've found happiness tends to be fleeting. It can, I can have happiness in one moment and it can be gone in the next. Um, and that happiness is oftentimes really uh, dependent on or attached to my circumstances. My circumstances are good, I feel happy. When my circumstances are bad, happiness sort of seems to disappear. But you know, joy... Joy is very different than just happiness. Joy can prevail. Joy is a foundation. Joy in God is built on something solid that transcends our experiences and our day-to-day -day and, and our circumstances. So joy really defines this, this season for us. And hope, or hope is really the specific theme I want to speak to today in this message. Hope is different than optimism. In, in the same way as joy is uh, different than just happiness, Hope is different than optimism. You know, much of our world, you know, really is, runs on negativity and pessimism, but oftentimes without Christ, the best we have is kind of either wishful thinking, glass half full, you know, power of positive thinking. But, but hope is very different from those things. Our hope and our anchor, our foundation for, for hope is actually it's in, in Jesus. And it's good to remind ourselves that however you came in here, feeling today, whatever you're experiencing today, not to minimize any of the reality of all of that, but to be reminded that we have joy as a foundation, that we have hope as an anchor for our souls, is something that we need. 
in tumultuous times and when it can seem like all the world around us is up and down with the news of the day. Our hope can't lie in our own strength. Our hope should not lie uh, in the frail you know, human brokenness around us or our own ability to achieve. Hope comes. I think this time of year I'm reminded that hope came to us. That hope's name is Jesus. That hope was born in a manger. That that hope came to stand in the gap for us and pay the price for us so that we could receive an unshakable hope for today and for tomorrow. I want to take you to a, a passage in Isaiah or Isaiah. If you, have an, if you have an Australian Bible, Isaiah, no, there's no such thing as an Australian Bible. It's just my accent. Ah, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. I want to read to you what the prophet Isaiah had, had foretold I mean, centuries, generations before Jesus ever came. In many of the passages in this book, it speaks to the coming of the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior. And uh, there's a very interesting thing that happens here in Isaiah that speaks for me to hope. He says, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. We're going to come back to that. It's an interesting turn of phrase that I want to explain. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He's foreshadowing the coming of a Messiah who would bring good news and hope, a a justice for those in need, for the poor, for the oppressed, a voice for the voiceless, that, that the Savior would come and stand in the gap. Hope, hope for everyone. This is, this is good news. A compassionate God that would step into our story with answers. And Israel, the the, the people of Israel, hung on to these prophecies as a promise, as their their hope for centuries, as they waited and they waited for the Messiah to come. But I'm particularly drawn to that phrase I read in verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is interesting. So the stump of Jesse, it's, it's speaking to a family line that we're going to look at in just a moment. But it's, Jesse was actually the father of King David. So the prophecy here is that there's going to be a branch, a fruitful branch come from the stump, the family line of Jesse. Now, a few months ago, we were doing a relationship series and I shared an illustration about boundaries using the tree in our backyard. You know what? I gave the example how one of the branches on the tree was broken and my landlord and our neighbor had sort of gotten into a back and forth about fixing the branch and, and that we didn't need to, the, the neighbor wanted our tree cut down, but we don't need to because it's on our side of the fence. We just, if they wanted to, to fix the branch, we could do that. Well, my landlord, you know, I don't know if it was a moment of compassion or what it was. It was certainly a moment of overreaction, did something to our tree. I wonder if we can put the picture of the tree in our backyard up on the screen. Have we got that picture? I certainly hope we have. That is our beautiful birch tree. Uh, There were tears cried, legitimately. Uh, That beautiful tree has become 
a stump. Well, technically three stumps, I guess. In an overreaction, a moment of trying to appease the neighbors, um, she cut down the tree and what was a beautiful tree that gave peace and privacy, you know, New York, ah, to our backyard is now just a stump. So I called our tree guy who'd been on standby waiting to come fix the broken branch before somebody with a chainsaw got to it uh, a little prematurely. And I said to him, hey, I sent him a picture. Is there any hope that this is going to be a tree again? And he said, you know what, might sprout a few leaves. So he's going to come finish the job and remove what used to be a beautiful tree. There's, in this instance, no hope at all in the stump. But what's fascinating to me about this, for me, this is a picture of what most of us experience. And, and of most trees, that would be true, that once you just have a stump, that's kind of the end of its possibility. But Andy and I went on a trip to Israel earlier this year. I think we have a picture of one of the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is interesting to me. We were literally standing here looking at uh, Jerusalem and Richard, who lives there in uh, Jerusalem, uh, he was explaining to us about the olive tree. And one of the things that's interesting about it, and you see here, there's actually things sort of sprouting out of this stump where another uh, main kind of branch or trunk had been at one time. And he said, actually, given enough time, the olive tree can, can regenerate, can sprout, not only a few leaves, but a new branch that becomes fruitful. And, and actually, that's part of the majesty of these ancient trees, some of which, which date back to perhaps even the time of Christ, that they've survived different things and broken branches, perhaps sawn down at different times, and they generate new life. Like literally from a stump comes, like Isaiah had prophesied, a, few, a fruitful branch. I think there's one more photo from that very spot as you look to the right from here. Out toward the eastern wall, I think we've got, yeah, this beautiful photo of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount there, standing in the garden where those, amongst the very olive trees, likely where Jesus had prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, ask his disciples to pray. But these pictures to me are a reminder of what hope can look like. Isaiah had prophesied that from the stump of Jesse would come a branch bearing bearing fruit. Jesse, as I mentioned, was the, the father of King David. And there are a lot of interesting things in the line of Christ that remind us that even from pain, from suffering, from sin, even, even from all of our human brokenness, hope can come from what seems hopeless. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, Matthew kind of lists out for us some of the ancestry, the family tree of Jesus. Now, I won't read the whole thing. And to be honest, a lot of times when we read these parts of the Bible, there's a part of our brain sort of going yada, 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 right? Because it's like a little, it can seem a little dry, right? But I just want to tease out a truth. I'm, to be fair, I'm going to skip a bunch of verses in here and just give you a few of them. But this is interesting. When he, when he speaks about the stump of Jesse, talking about the family line of Christ, listen to this. This is what he says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, it says here in verse 3, Judah, father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. This one's a great one. I don't know if it's Salmon or Salmon. I'm going to go with Salmon. Salmon. It's a great name. If anybody here is expecting a child, there's a good Bible name no one uses. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Listen, whose mother was Rahab. There's an interesting name. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We'll come back to that one. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary, the the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14. From David to the exile in Babylon, 14 generations from the exile to the Messiah. Who's included here in the genealogy of Christ? It's not exactly the perfect pedigree that you would imagine would be you know, a part of the savior of the world. It's not the magnificent family tree you would expect the king of kings to be descended from. If you actually reflect on the names in this list and study some of their stories, you actually see a lot of pain and some tragedy in here. For one thing, it's already right out of the gates unusual, especially culturally in those days, that Matthew would include the names of women at all in the list. But also what several of these women represent Their stories are tied into difficult and dark and painful times in the genealogy of Christ and therefore the history of Israel and the very reason that a savior needed to come, like Tamar, for instance. These are complex, difficult stories. Tamar, who was raped and abused, a terrible story, and then she ultimately tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her so she becomes pregnant, and this story is here. Rahab who was a a Canaanite prostitute who did a wonderful thing to save the Israelite spies when they were in the promised land. Ruth, who is a a foreigner from Moab, a people that the the Jewish people considered unclean and that they looked down on. The Bible mentions here Uriah's wife. Well, there's a story. So Uriah's wife is Bathsheba, who David famously sees when he should have been out at war. He's on his balcony instead. He sees her bathing. He calls her in sleeps with her, she's pregnant, he sends the husband to the front lines where he's killed. I mean, the whole thing is a disaster. She's pregnant, the baby dies, but ultimately, what's interesting is that she is the one that bears the child Solomon that would be the king of Israel. So when I look at this, I can't help but notice that in the genealogy, the family tree of Christ is moral and racial and gender outsiders. Adulterers, murderers, prostitutes, deceivers, the corrupt, the unclean, the oppressed. In other words, there's hope for everyone. Hello. Right here in the message, in the, in the lineage of Christ is out of what seems hopeless comes hope. And it should also remind us that that wasn't just true in Bible times, but Jesus is still in the business of bringing life from what seems impossible. That's the hope that we profess. Actually, one of Jesus' contemporaries, when he was you know, beginning to minister, a prophet in his day, hearing of, of Jesus, actually said, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown, which is basically the ancient world way of saying he's from the wrong side of the tracks. And here comes Jesus out of Nazareth, you know, born in a manger. What in the world was that all about, right? Seems unlikely. You know, even his story, even though there was nothing untoward, I'm sure even the very fact that his mother said God got her pregnant brought some complications, right? In those days, right? Can you imagine? And then he comes into the, to the Jewish history at a time when Rome occupies them. Hope springs up out of what seems hopeless. A fruitful branch comes from the stump of Jesse. So if you're taking notes today... A couple of things we could write down to be reminded of this Christmas season. Number one is that we have hope that, that firstly, Jesus understands our needs. 
What are some of the revelations, the convictions that we need in order to have hope that has a foundation? Well, one thing that helps me is to be reminded Jesus understands our needs. One of the, the favorite things for me, one of the favorite names we declare for God this time of year is that we call him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. That's significant. You know, uh, God understands, Jesus understands because he came. Because he, I mean, he literally walked a mile in our shoes. He who knew no sin became sin. He, you know, he, he, he came down, dwelt among us, familiar with suffering, familiar with betrayal, familiar with pain, all kinds of pain, a man of sorrows. John 1, 14 says, the word became human and made his home among us. Another translation is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is one good thing to be reminded of, whatever it is that you're experiencing and whatever might be going on in your life right now. Not to minimize any of that, but just to lift up an eternal truth, which is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands our needs. That gives me hope. The second thing that, that gives us hope is that God holds us. Jesus understands and God holds us. Isaiah 41, verse 13, he said, For this is the Lord speaking, he said, For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. That's a good promise. If you find yourself in a difficult season right now, why don't you declare this over your life? Why don't you repeat this as a promise over your own life that God is saying to you, I hold you by your right hand. I hold you. It's not just about you holding yourself. God says, I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God. And I say to you what? Don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. In other words, God is for you. His heart is towards you. I'm, I'm here to help you. That's good news. God is on your side. As for me, I get a lot of peace from that. I get a lot of comfort and uh, yeah, peace from this knowledge that, that I don't just have to hold myself. I don't just have to hold it together. But actually, that I can, I can lean back in the arms of my Father, that He's got me, that He holds me. By His strong hand, he, he holds me. You know, when we first moved to New York to plant Liberty Church, it'll be uh, 10 years ago, you know, next, next spring. And, uh, you know, when we moved to the city, we, we'd come from a great church, but we didn't really know anything about church planting. And so we got sent off for some training that we've sent all of our Liberty planters off uh, to ever since. And, and they, in those days, they used to do like a five-day, they called it basic training, but it was, was not basic. It was like, it was a lot. We were overwhelmed, right? <laughs> and at the end of the five days, they did a commissioning service. Now, bear in mind at this moment, we've moved to New York. We've got three little kids at that time. So they were four, two, and one. We'd never had a service for the church yet. We'd done a couple of gatherings um, down on Wall Street on the, the rooftop lounge of somebody's apartment. And uh, we hadn't really launched as a church. And, but, you know, old habits die hard. And, I, and I'd found, you know, my upbringing, I, I grew up in a, 
you know, I was a part of a great community of faith, but the particular people I was around and the way it landed on me, I'll say it this way, was I became a striver. I was very much about works, right? And uh, doing things in my own strength. And so I found when we went to plant a church, even though it was God's idea, clearly, I mean, who in their right mind would do this if it wasn't God's idea, right? I'm not suggesting we are in our right mind. I'm just trying, you know, hopefully. Uh, and we came, we planted this church, but I went back into old habits of like working and striving. I was stressing. And of course, we had to do work, but there's a difference between whether I trust in my work or whether I trust in God, right? And so I had this vision. We're in the middle of the commissioning service. They're like worshiping. And I'm not, I'm not a person that has a lot of visions. This one was very clear though. As they were praying for us, I got this vision, which to be honest, was particularly discouraging at first. So I was like, what in the world does this mean? In the vision, as they're praying for all of us church planters going out into the great unknown, I see myself crouched, kneeled down in the dust, actually, like clutching onto, I'm like wrapped in kind of barbed wire. I got dust all over me and sweat running down, like making mud. I was like, oh, great. Like, yay, church planting, I guess. Like, wow, what does this word even mean, right? Who would want to do this? And then, and then the Holy Spirit speaks this loving rebuke to me. So I'm toiling. That's what the vision was. I'm toiling. That's a picture for me of, of what I was, old habits I was going into to try and plant our church. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Paul, I already know what you can do. It's time for you to let me show you what only I can do. So that's all the difference, right? Between who's holding this together? Who's got this? I needed to be reminded lovingly in that moment, Paul, you can't hold this. You can't do this. You got to do your part. This is a partnership, but you're the very junior partner, right? <laughs> right? It's in our weakness, actually, that his strength is made perfect. Number three. Third thing that gives me hope is we find strength in his presence. We can find strength in his presence. That's what I needed in that moment when I had that vision. I needed strength, and not my own kind of strength that I could muster up. I mean, that kind of strength fails. I needed the strength that only comes from God. Isaiah 40 Verse 30 to 31, it says, Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, there's the key. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. That doesn't make sense, does it? How do you run and not grow weary? Well, when it's not your own strength that's causing you to run. They will walk and not be faint. In other words, they will be sustained in your walk, in your run, in your race, so to speak, to be sustained by the very strength of God. I like that picture that they will soar on wings like eagles. You know what's interesting about eagles? I learned many years ago that eagles respond differently to storms than most other birds. Most, most other birds, understandably, out of self-preservation, they're going to duck for cover. They're going to get out of the wind and the rain and the storm, but the eagle actually will soar on the storm. Actually, the winds of the storm can cause the eagle to soar even higher. I've experienced that in my life at times where it seemed like the storm that would cause others to, to duck for cover if I would allow God's strength to be my strength instead of approaching it in my own strength. That Sometimes almost counterintuitive, very surprisingly, that His strength would cause me to soar on wings like eagles and actually that the storms would even take me higher. That actually, in my weakness, his strength would be made perfect. Isn't that amazing? So many times, I 
just didn't have the strength to go on. Especially if I was walking just in my own strength. My, my own strength has failed. Many times my strength has failed. I, look, real current example. Yesterday, I felt my strength gone. You know, holidays are a beautiful time. And there's so much to celebrate, experiencing through them through the eyes of my kids. But if you know anything about our family story, the last few years, we, we lost my mom just, just over two years ago. And just right before Thanksgiving, um, she, she stepped into eternity with Christ. And so it's just bittersweet. It just is. It's a beautiful time of year. But Thanksgiving, and yesterday we went upstate to, to cut down a Christmas tree and everything about that, how much she loved that day. Driving up you know, through uh, Connecticut and, you know, going past the exit we used to take to her home and all of those things. Just for me, yesterday was full of triggers and moments when, honestly, I felt my own strength was failing. But it's in that, that, uh, that God's strength comes. It's in those moments when we, when we ache and when we yearn for something more and when we would invite, when we would even be humble and honest enough to recognize, like, I'm, I'm frail. God, I need you. Would you carry me in your arms of love? That's when God floods in. Number four is God is at work more than we can see. This is encouraging. God is at work. And it's good to remind yourself that he's at work in more than you can see. Sometimes I only give God credit for the things that I'm aware of. <laughs> How many think God's doing more than I know? <laughs> All the time, right? All the time. So as I was preparing the final touches on this message last night, and to be honest, having a good cry after everyone had gone to bed and feeling all the feels that I was feeling last night, I was writing out this promise for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, Our present, for our present troubles are small. It won't last very long. And yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. It's good to lift our eyes by all means be real about where we are and to see what we see and walk through the feelings that we have, but also to be reminded in the goodness of God and his providence that he's at work, even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it. I've experienced oftentimes when God is moving in my life, I don't perceive it at the time. In fact, it's often only with 20-20 hindsight, I can look back and see his footprints, his fingerprints. I can see his working, how he orchestrated things. I can see the goodness of God oftentimes only as I, as I look back. I shared a message the other week uh, here in Bay Ridge about harvest and how God had been stirring me that 2020 was a year of harvest and that even as I was praying for people in my world that needed the hope that I found in Jesus, that a friend had reached out on Instagram that I hadn't heard from in 25 years, a guy that I used to disciple. And now all these years later, he messages me, hey, I'm thinking of returning. You're my guy. Can we talk? 25 years though when it seemed like all hope was gone. 25 years of a stump is what it seemed like to me. Like what hope is there? What possibility that's gone? And maybe, maybe in the natural that would have been true, except that God is at work. How does that relate to you and I? Well, I don't know what in your life right now might seem hopeless, might seem dead and gone, might seem like how could life come from that? 
But wherever you need hope today, it's good to remind yourself that God is at work. And that he has this majestic way of turning all things around for our good. You know, he has this way of, the Bible says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you reap a harvest if you don't give up. It's that sense of hanging in there. It's that sense of, and not just in our own strength, of hanging in there because he's faithful. Because he's good. In fact, I heard somebody say recently, if it's not good, it's not the end. Because <laughs> he is good, amen? He is good. Let me give you one more. Number five is the church is the carrier of hope. The church is the carrier of hope. Andy Stanley, I like how, how he describes this. He says, Jesus is the hope of the world. And the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. So Jesus is the hope, but the church is the vessel or the vehicle. We are to be carriers of hope to those in the world around us. You know, I was with you a couple weeks ago, and the next day I, I left for Mexico City. And I had the privilege of hosting some roundtables for pastors in Mexico City and Tepic, Guadalajara and Tijuana. And it was incredible. Like, I mean, just an incredible time. And just encouraging pastors. And, and, um, but as I was uh, doing these, these uh, training sessions and facilitating these conversations and helping churches, the beginning of a three-year journey, just to breathe new life and vision into their churches, uh, I was reminded of a, an illustration, reminded actually of something that God had spoken to me many years ago um, through the movie The Titanic when it first came out. Now, I don't know if God speaks to you through movies, but if that fits your theology. Uh, uh, but listen, God can speak through a donkey in the Bible, so I'm just saying. Uh, he can use, as far as I'm concerned, God can use anything, right, to speak to me. So anyway, I didn't go into the movie like, God, speak to me. You know, I was just going to watch a movie, which, by the way, I, spoiler alert, the Titanic sinks. I'm sorry if anybody in here hasn't seen the movie yet, but it's, honestly, you've had plenty of time by now to see the movie. So my bad if you haven't seen it yet, but it does sink. Um, when I saw the movie, though, I wasn't expecting an encounter with God, but I had, a very, I had a very real moment, I'll put it that way. Toward the end of the movie, um, you know, if you've seen the, the film, you know, as the, as the ship is in its sort of final throes, I guess, and beginning to go down into the, the dark waters and, you know, all these people jumping, terrified, the screams of the people in the water and you're looking at these lifeboats. I, I remember very distinctly um, that the terror was real for me as I was watching the movie, just this, this feeling of hopelessness that was coming over people and the cold of the water gripping them. And, and there, was this, there was this moment um, if you've seen the film, you might remember there's this moment as the ship goes under that desperate people start swimming towards the lifeboats, many of them not even half full. And the people in the lifeboats, they, um, they start to row away. And um, I remember my feeling in the, in the movie this anger started to rise in me, this judgment, because... There's, there's room, it's desperate, there's so many people, a sea of humanity drowning. And um, actually in some of the lifeboats, sorry, 
And some of the lifeboats, the people plugged their ears to block out the screams as they rowed away. And I remember, I remember how angry I was feeling, the judgment that I felt. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Paul, that's my church. And I realized to my shame how often I've been content in my little lifeboat to save myself and do what I ever had to do to block out the noise and pain in the world and, oh, it's uncomfortable and sharing my testimony and whatever else. It's like, oh, God, give us your heart. Oh, God, well up in us the compassion of the Holy Spirit that it's your will that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. I want us as a church to be the people, you can come, Rich. I want us as a church to be the people willing to do whatever it takes to risk it all, to be the people who would love well, to be the people who would remember that we are carriers of hope for the world. Hope. Jesus came to give us hope. There's hope. There's hope in him. There's hope when it seems like all is lost. There's hope. John 10, he said, I give them eternal life. and They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. began with the words of the carol today, Joy to the World. You know my favorite line? The wonders of his love. That's what I reflect on today. It's the wonders. The wonders of his love. That while our backs were turned, while we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. Joy to the world. Hope is an anchor for our soul.